Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Farmers Capital Conversations, bringing you helpful strategies and practical resources to help you invest on and off the farm. If you find value today, don't hesitate to leave us an honest review and share the episode. Yes, this helps us, but more importantly, it could help someone else along their journey. Now, let's dive in without further ado. I guess at the end of the day, whatever it takes to, you know, this all has to work its way back to farm profitability, you know, whether it's technology or it's processing or whatever we're talking about, it really all comes back to does, you know, does this assist the farmer? Does the farmer actually make money because of, you know, things that are happening up chain? That, that's always got to be in the minds of lawmakers and the industry as they develop some of these policies. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have on Sean Haney, founder of RealAgriculture.com. He manages one of the leading industry ag media companies for Canadian farmers and ranchers. RealAgriculture.com provides the latest in ag policy, agronomics, agronomics, and current events. Sean, happy to have you on the show. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks a lot for having me. Your show is really cool, as we discussed you know, before we went live, I really appreciate how you structure your show. You know, you get on a lot of your farmers that, you know, they talk about the nitty gritty about what's important as far as, you know, soil to fertility, to yield expectations, to the weather, um, to different implements, um, different tractors, et cetera. Um, but today, you know, I'd love to get your background, your your story, what you're doing at realagriculture.com and really just dive into what farmers should be looking at out towards the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of a really really fun story. You know, real agriculture started. I, I started it back in two thousand eight. Uh, was really kind of a bit of a uh, kind of a nighttime hobby. I, I have been doing some writing for a Canadian egg pub, and uh, I bought the URL realagriculture.com and just started doing some blogging and that, by about I think. Uh, fall of 09 sort of got the idea i saw what some journalists were doing in the tech space they were taking like a, a video camera to a to a you know like ces and talking to people in booths i thought well i could do that in agriculture and so in january of 2010 i went to the crop production show in saskatoon saskatchewan in canada and i started filming in booths and everybody thought i was crazy and nuts and uh was whacked out of my tree <laughs> and uh, now you go to a farm show all these years later and pretty much all those people thought i was whacked out of my tree they're carrying cameras too so things have changed you're a pioneer sean <laughs> well I, I i don't know what you call me but <laughs> it, it it was interesting you know you those first years you go to a booth and say hey you want to you want to do this video and i'll put it on youtube and they just some people were like Okay, and some people were like, uh, "No, the guy you got to talk to, he went for lunch, right?" It, it was like this yeah, game. The other guy, yeah, yeah, trying to convince people to do the interviews, and everything kind of just snowballed. And uh, what started as a hobby, you know, we started to monetize some content, and uh, pretty soon, I, you know, I hired a, a video producer, a good, a good friend of mine, and he started uh, doing the videos, and he's still with us here today. And uh, the thing kind of just took off. When, you know, I had 300 people on an email list, basically personal contacts. You know, now we got 13,000 all these years later. So uh, I, I feel totally blessed and fortunate to be able to do what I'm doing now, which is my full-time job. Um, you know, uh, we've sold the seed farm and everything I was doing in, in my past life. And uh, now this is my full-time gig, and I feel very fortunate. That's a great story. So you were working on the seed farm when you started Real Agriculture? 
Yeah, we had a we had a, a long, uh, a, a, quite a, a seed farm where uh, my, my grandfather had started it back in like the I think it was like the 1930s. So we were, you know, the Haney name was very, you know, known in the seed industry in, in Canada. Uh, we also had a feed yard. Uh, my dad was was doing that, but I, I, you know, truth be told, I had really no intentions to come back to the farm. I always loved agriculture, but I, I, I as I've said before, people, I, I'm the most unmechanically inclined farm kid in the history of farm kids. <laughs> so I, I was really crappy at it, uh, but I did. I, I really enjoyed it, and I, I always had a dream as a kid of being a sports broadcaster. But th- that's a really, really tough career to try to find. Uh, you know, to be able to make a living of it's, there's a lot of starving sports broadcasters out there. Um, it's sort of like trying to be a golf pro. And and so <laughs> yeah. I, I just kind of dropped it. And then, you know, this it sort of fell into, I started doing interviews and talking to people and I kind of found a home in this. And it's, 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 it's really, really cool because what's really neat about it is that it's the variety of people you talk to Canada, the U S uh, into Europe and just talk about agriculture, which is, uh, you know, very, very close to the hearts of a lot of people that we, we talk to and people in the audience. And yeah, so I, I grew, I went, what, what happened was I went back to the, the, the seed farm, but I had intentions actually to go to law school and I was going to study for my LSAT. And obviously I wasn't very committed to that, that idea because two years later I still hadn't done my LSAT. And so I kind of, what happened was I, I was married at that point and it was just sort of like, well, I guess I'm going to do this and, you know, kind of dove into it and was doing the farming stuff. But um, real agriculture just kind of was a bit of a spark and it, it clearly uh, lit into something bigger. Well, it kind of spoke to well, a lot of what you wanted to do, but maybe some of your core talents. You said you've started the blog. That's where it all began. So writing just talking to new, new people, mm-hmm. new topics every week. And you just kind of grow, you go, go with the passion. That's right. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think, you know, they always say you got to find something you're passionate about. Um, you also got to find something that pays the bills. Um, yep. that, that, that's also kind of an important thing when it comes to, to choosing a career. I, I was fortunate because, you know, if, in those early years, I was trying to find a, a path to some monetization. If I had to pay, you know, if I didn't have the farm as a backstop, it would have never, I, I didn't have it. I wouldn't have had enough runway. And, and so having the farm as a part of my life really allowed me, it gave me some runway to find a way to, in this new media area to, to kind of try to find a, a path, right? And and so I was, the, the farm is a, an incredibly important component of real agriculture's history because it, it allowed it time to find uh, uh, some some revenue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it allowed the transition period to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it was interesting, you know, a, a lot of times I've said to audiences that, uh, you know, when you have a new idea and you're starting a business as an entrepreneur, whether that's in agriculture or some other industry, uh, be careful who you talk to. Because if I had listened to the first 10 people I said this idea to, I, I, I would have never started it, right? Everybody thought I was nuts and crazy <laughs> yeah. and couldn't get their head wrapped around it. And I, 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 was, I was traveling, you know, crisscrossing across the country, flying and going to shows. And, and, you know, I was basically doing the filming, the video production and the writing. So, like, it, it would be not uncommon for me to go to bed at, like, 3 in the morning uh, and, you know, be up at 7 a.m. to do the next day of the show. It, it, was, it was a crazy, crazy pace. 
And uh, it, it was really a lot of fun, but I could see how people would look at what I was doing, especially in those early days where not a lot of money was coming in, being like, yeah, like he, this is a thing and he's going to get tired of it and that'll be that and there'll be something else, right? And, yep. and so, I, but I loved it. I, I, I really found a home in the, in the excitement of talking about this industry and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. That's a cool story, Sean. Yeah. It's funny that you bring that up because you, someone's future can very well be dependent on who they listen to. And, you know, there's that yeah. saying where you are the average of the five people you hang out the most with. Well, those five right. people are going to be saying certain things and giving you feedback on what to do and what not to do. So if you listen to those people and they say, no, you shouldn't do that thing because maybe you're not making a dollar on it right now, but the vision is there. Yeah. It's just all dependent on who you really listen to. Yeah. And, 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 and so it's easy to say, like, I think this is a dumb idea or I think this is a great idea, but you, sh you should always also, if you are talking to those five people, because that, that you, you are very correct about those people you surround yourself with, whether it's five or it's 10, is, is ask them questions. Okay. So you think this is a really good idea. Why? Right? Or you think this is a horrible idea? Yeah. Why? And and get it, get into some of the nuance of it. I think sometimes we just sort of stay at that simple. Like we we just want the positive affirmation. And it's like, oh hey, so and so thinks this is a really good idea, but you have zero idea why the heck they think it's a good idea, which is not yeah. very helpful. It's just it's encouraging and it's good for the ego, and it, it gives you a little bit of a you know a hop in your step. But you you really should go through that process of of asking for those points of nuance to better understand because maybe there's something you're missing maybe they think it's a better idea it's a good idea for a different reason than you do right and so then you're missing opportunities if you don't ask some of those questions mm -hmm. and and which of those suggestions are rooted in fear as well because they could just be projecting their own fear onto you and right. that could be a limiting belief in themselves that they are then projecting onto you and so you have to essentially carry that burden into the yeah. next decision yeah, they could be saying no because they're fearful of that you're going to fail, right? Yeah, uh, you, you you may not have that fear because you know the typically the entrepreneur does you know thinks very positively. They're they're optimistic creatures, uh, but that that's where the no could be, or uh, maybe there's been past failures, right? And so it's like, oh man, we've been down this road before, dude. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, the last two ideas didn't work <laughs> yeah. out. Right. So that, that, ha that, that, what that is happens. What is that? The too. uncle, the uncle that always does that, you know, the 10th business idea. Failed <laughs> yeah. Something. yeah. But it, you know, I, I, I saw the response from the audience. Right. And so that was the encouraging piece where, um, there, there were two companies in, in, I think about the middle of 2010 is I, I think about where it was, where they, it was my first points of where somebody had given me some, uh, basically, you know, for sponsorship. Um, and the, the individual that had given me that first check, he, he said, to, uh, he says, you know, here, here you go. And he had had, we were at a meeting. We we're in Ottawa at a meeting. I remember the meeting specifically. And I said, you know, okay, what, what, do, what do I do with this? And he said, I don't care. Just put our company logo in a few places. Just keep going. I, I, I want you to keep going. I, I don't want you to quit. Because I see how hard you're working. I like what you're doing. I just want you to keep going. And, and you know, talk about a vote of confidence from, you know, somebody that you know, was not a relative. This wasn't my dad giving me a check. This was somebody that I just 
I'd met through the industry as I had started this business. And here he was saying, and I, and I think the check was like for $3,500, which was, you know, like at that time I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like somebody is actually, this is actually, this is a good sign. This is maybe going to work. Yeah. And I, I just felt so inspired at that point that, okay, I and it, it actually, I think th there was two checks that came in about the same time for very, the very same reason. Just keep going. I probably didn't have another client for another year. So like, it wasn't like this was like this, you know, avalanche of dollars coming in it it, 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 it took a lot of time um but you know it it, it, it is a bit of a, a lesson i guess if if you if you are inspired by somebody's idea and you see what they're doing and you see how hard they're working don't be scared to tell them so and and find ways to support them because maybe you know on the outside they may look like you know, they're a go-getter and so confident but inside they may have a lot of doubt and questions and you don't really know what's going on so it, it, it it's always a good idea to kind of keep that in mind to support people that you feel are 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 really showing some of those characteristics of of trying to do something different mhm mm support the people who are trying to change the world in a positive light yeah, positivity is good. We got we got a lot of negativity out there. I don't know if you've turned on Twitter lately, but no, it's uh, I had to delete it. <laughs> it's not it's not the best or most positive place on. Uh, I, and I I enjoy uh, college football Twitter a lot better than politics Twitter uh, at this point. But I tell you, yeah, positivity is good. Why not? It's it's you know it's easy to say that some, that's a dumb idea. It's easy to say that that's never going to work. It takes a lot more effort to say you know what I think that's pretty awesome. Keep on going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. And you kind of followed the seeds, if you will, taking one step um, towards, you know, what worked, you got positive reinforcement, just keep going. Um, but just follow, following those little, little breadcrumbs. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I really have always paid a lot of attention to like, you know, we're, we're even today, we have 13 people on our team. And we put out a prolific amount of content given the size of the team. Um, and we've really tried to to recruit people that you know have the same kind of core values that that when I started the company, um velocity is is one of our of of our core values. but um as as we started to build a team, um and it's you know still relatively small, I, I was never I'm still not to this day scared to look at can we, what is what is mainstream media doing, or what is other industry media doing? And I referenced the technology example, you know, technology media example earlier with the camera. That was an idea that somebody else had, and we emulated it. Uh, you know, what what is what is Fox Sports doing or ESPN doing? Where maybe it's a way that we can cover agriculture that's a little bit different, that's already happening and showing success. Because you know what, ESPN has floors of people coming up with these ideas and coming yep. up with these strategies and, and these tactics. We don't. So let's just trust they got a lot of smart people on all of those floors and, and we can emulate it. And I, I think we've done a lot of stuff like that. You know, our, our brand of coverage of agriculture is, you know, we do cover some serious topics, but we, we, we try to do it in, in, with also some fun and some light banter. And it doesn't, you know, we're not PBS or, you know, this doesn't need to be stoic and boring and things like that. We can show emotion. We can have, uh, you know, some takes that we have some biases on some and, and hot things takes like that. By yeah, Sean. you want you, you want the audience to be. It's it, we're in. It's entertainment at the end of the day. There's there's yeah. a ton of there's a ton of podcasts and, and video series out there right now, as as you know. And 
you know, you, you, you gotta be you just, you know, not try to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your other core values? Um, velocity being, being one of them. Yeah. Focus, passion, and accountability. That's a, that's a good test. I'm, I'm, we got, those are the Nailed four. Nailed it. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. If any of the staff ever watches this, it'd be like, you didn't you couldn't get the fourth one. No. Uh, so <laughs> th- those have really been from, I, I think we added accountability a, a few years ago, but for the most part, those have been the core values since the, the beginning. And um, we, we, I, we love the word velocity. And it was, we had a, I was in a meeting with a client going back to about the mid, I think it was like 14 or 15, probably around there. And, um, the, the client had said to me, you know, I I really like what you guys are doing. I appreciate the velocity at which you guys work. Mm. And I was like, Oh, I love that. I'm, I I love that word. I'm taking it. And, um, you know, we, we live by it. It's, you know, we're, we're in, you know, light hot or hard or not, or, you know, no matter how we broadcast, we're in the news business and we've, you know, it does not rest. It does not sleep. And so, you know, there always, there's this, you know, you have to push yourself to get stuff out, be accurate. Um, you know, we don't need to be first on everything, but you know, you do need to get stuff to, to publication as quick as you possibly can when you need to. So, uh, it's, you know, we're, when we do video series, you know, we're out in the field and we're shooting agronomic videos. We're, the good chance if that video was published today, it was filmed earlier this week. Things don't sit in the can, so to speak, for a long period of time. So velocity is definitely one of our core values. That's great because velocity builds momentum in any business. If projects get a slow start, there's a very, the likelihood of success at the end is very much determined by the initial few weeks and how much you can, how much momentum you can carry forward. So yeah. It's kind of the root of that is velocity. Well, and, and it's velocity with focus. So, you know, I think one of the things too is you can have velocity, but if there isn't focus in that, you're running around with a chicken with your head cut off, so to speak. Mm. So I think those those two things really balance each other out. And hey, I'm not saying we haven't done that before. Um, you know, it, no, no person or company is, is perfect in these kind of things. You have to kind of ground yourself and bring yourself back to it. To, to make sure, okay, if we, because if you are working at a fast pace, okay, if, if, if you're off track on plan or you, you can get off on a tangent much quicker than if you're moving like a turtle and, and moving at a very slow pace. So you, you need that focus to, to go with it. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. How can, do you hear a lot of folks in the industry that you're talking to, farmers, ranchers, industry experts, do they incorporate velocity and focus in, in their business? And if so, like, how are they doing that? Well, I, I think so. So like, think about planting time or think about harvest time. Um, you know, and it's not necessarily, it, it, velocity doesn't have to be driving fast. Like, you know, we're, I, I don't think we should be running our planters at 10 miles an hour. You know, we, we know that slower is better. Um, but we when I think about farmers working with velocity, it's, it's the long hours, right? It's, it's being productive. It's being efficient. Um, those are the, those are the kind of things that I think of when we, we look at that word, I think very much, very much so. And sometimes to go faster, you gotta go slower. Um, and so when it comes to like harvest time, it's not, you know, it's, it's not 
if you go too fast, you're plugging the combine, right? So you got to go that yeah. right, efficient, productive speed in, in order to to do the best job and make sure the, uh, the the concaves are as full as possible at that maximum capacity. So I think, yeah, I think a lot of farmers do. Mm-hmm. When I was training for a half marathon a while ago, I was running and I was passing this this kid who was also trying to train for something. And I just said to him, unsolicited advice. So shame on me, first of all. <laughs> but I said, go slow to go fast. And I was like, oh, that's like, that makes a lot of sense because it, exactly like you just said, you can't run a combine too fast. Otherwise, you're going to plug it up. And so you have to go at that optimal speed. And that applies with a lot of, of businesses, whether that's, you know, what you're doing in media or you're running the combine out in the field. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of farms of different shapes and sizes. Uh, you know, there's a lot of similarities, but there's also a lot of differences depending on, you know, region, regional differences, livestock, or if you're in broadacre crops, or maybe you're in, in horticulture, um, there's a lot of challenges for them. And so that, that, that focus is another component. I think they, they really have to execute on in order to kind of have that plan, especially Especially in the case of like the one man band, so to speak, where, you know, you're doing it all or it's a small family unit that's doing it all. Um, it, it's, 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 it's really a unique industry and it's, it's, yeah, just there, I, there's just not, nothing like it. That's for sure. Definitely nothing like ag. Sean, what are you excited about in the future? Uh, what excites you? Yeah, that's a good, good question. I, I think as I look forward, uh, <clears throat> sorry, just hold on. Hmm. Sorry about that. Um, you know, when I think about the future, I, I think there's a lot in our industry to be excited about. You know, um, we've got a consumer that is becoming more and more aware of food. That, that's an opportunity, I, I, I think. It's, it's going to come with some challenges, but it also is an opportunity. Um, there, there, there also is a real keen interest in Canada and the U.S. to increase processing capacity. So that we are not so reliant on exporting um, raw commodities of of some of the products that are being produced. So, you know, expansion of soybean crushing capacity in the U.S., expansion of uh, plant protein capacity uh, or processing here in in Canada. Just a couple of examples, and think about the technology that is coming down the pipe in our industry, and it's. Some of it is kind of here and sort of being figured out. You know, there was a period where it was like big data, big data, big data. Um, you know, now it's artificial intelligence. Uh, there's autonomy. There's robotics. There's the electrification of of some of the power units that that is coming. Um, that's all really exciting stuff. It's very disruptive, and and how you embrace it or how you use it uh, may be different than your neighbor. But you got to find the way that you can use it that that gives you an advantage. And, and you know, essentially, at the end of the day, when it comes to all that technology, improves the return on investment that you're getting. And it comes back to farm profitability. If it's just all cool crap that is fun to run and this is really neat and, boy, can you see what this does? But it doesn't add to the bottom line at the end of the day. It's just cool crap that's expensive. Yeah. Right? And, and so I... I think that's a pretty exciting time. You know, we've we've had different revolutions, I guess, if you if you want to put it that way in agriculture. 
Um, and we're kind of in one now where, you know, the computing capacity and, and what the potential is for artificial intelligence and robotics, it, it's pretty interesting. It, it is, and, and there's going to be, there's going to be naysayers, right? And, and that's cool too. We all Always. don't have to be on, yeah, right. But we don't all have to be on the same part of the adoption curve, okay? Um, some are going to be like bleeding edge and some are going to be like the last person standing that engages with some of this tech. And that's cool. That's fine. That's what makes a, that's what makes a, a, a market. Right. And I, I think it's a pretty cool time. It's, it's very, very interesting. It's fun to watch as a, as someone that gets to cover the industry. Mm-hmm. The, some of the folks that you're interviewing on your show, are they, are they looking at this relationship between the consumer and our food and how it's being produced and what we're adding to it? Are they viewing that more as an opportunity or, or not? I think it kind of depends. And, and the reason I say that is if you are producing a product that's closer to the consumer, like let's say you're, a, you're, you're growing apples okay, in, in Oregon or in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. You are much closer to the consumer experience than someone that's growing wheat in Idaho, right? And so <clears throat> I think the closer you are from an end product standpoint to the consumer, probably impacts how much you think about this. Now, at the end of the day, everybody is somehow connected to a consumer, but it's not everybody's the same distance, right? And and so I think if you think about pork and beef is a couple of examples, I think there's a lot of work being done. You know, farm checkoff organizations are, are doing a lot of work to try to educate the consumer because they're being told by some of the mainstream media that, you know, cows are the, the, the worst when it comes to uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And there's people like Dr. Frank Mintlerner of UC Davis, who uh, has a lot of science behind that actually not being true. Um, and so there's a lot of communication work that has to happen here. Um, you know, I, I think for a long time, we really relied on, hey, nobody trusts anybody more than a farmer. And there's still data to show the farmer is very, very trusted. But we, we can't just rest on our laurels. We can't just rest on like, you know, this, if we don't want the consumer to have this picture of a farmer being like in, you know, certain kind of clothes and, you know, having a pitchfork and that kind of stuff. And they want us to think of us as, hey, just like a regular business person, we're entrepreneurs. Yep. Then that's going to come with more communication because we again can't rest on some of those old traditional pictures that we get all upset about. So um, we, there's, there has to be lots of engagement. Um, and, the, and the trouble is here, to be honest with you, is that the consumer is not one person. So it's not like we're just talking to one person and saying, hey, we're going to convince you. The consumer is very multicultural. They're very dynamic. Uh, there's, there's lots of demographics that go with who the consumer is. And so this, this is, uh, the work is not done in, 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 in this area, for sure not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very differentiated consumer base. You have some people who could care less where their food come from, comes from. Right and the end products that it's ultimately going into and the manufacturing processing facilities. And then you have the person who's very aware of exactly where each and every calorie of food is going into their fridge and there into their children's mouth. 
Yeah, and economics plays a part, right? So we saw this as, as we've seen the economy, you know, struggle here through interest rate increases over the past number of years coming out of the pandemic. Think about plant proteins. So people that deemed, you know, I, I will never eat meat again, and plant proteins are, the, you know, the future when it comes to protein consumption. They've, they've, plant protein sectors really struggled in these harder economic times because, one, it's expensive, um, and, and two, something like pork is, you know, cheaper. And so people speak with their wallet. So there's, that's the confusing part here, right? Yeah. What the consumer tells you may not actually, given the variables and the circumstances, may not actually be what they end up doing. And, and, and that's a challenge for the industry to sort of, you know, steer through all this as they, you know, as, as you go to any sort of farm conference and it's like, well, we got to produce what the consumer wants. Well, what the heck is that? Right. It's, 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 it's pretty muddy water. Yeah. Well, they want cheap proteins and they want it that's environmentally conscious, quote unquote. Yep. But those two things are really hard to do and accomplish in the same sentence. Well, the concerns with Prop 12 in, in California, right? And uh, the impact that's having on, on the pork sector. And, you know, a lot of talk about some pork products not even available in California right now because they can't find it. Um, because of the stringent requirements uh, that Prop 12 brings. So regulation is a big component of this. Uh, it's an issue in the U.S. It's an issue in Canada uh, for across, especially in the livestock sector. This, this you know, what, what is a reasonable, what are the reasonable standards when it comes to animal welfare, animal production, and make sure that there's food on the shelves? Yeah. That's a hard one. I mean, it's almost like the uh, to- could happen the uh, toilet paper emergency that we had during COVID. <laughs> we did but, have one. Uh, yes, just, we did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but just apply that to to food, and it's real. It, yeah. it could be it could be a, a huge issue, but I'd like to pivot a little bit into the you mentioned the increasing processing capacity. Is there from a Canadian perspective? Is Canada investing a lot into insourcing processing capacity uh definitely there's an inc- there's a push in the area of uh plant protein ingredients so there's a lot of pulse production in places like saskatchewan in western canada um canada wants to be the leader in in plant protein production um and so big push there there's also a big push when it comes to increasing canola crush capacity uh there's about in any given year, somewhere between 19 and 22 million acres of canola. And it's a very important crop to Western Canadian growers. And with uh, the push for uh, renewable diesel, sustainable aviation fuel in Canada and the U.S., there's been a real market signal to increase the capacity to produce the oil um, to, to feed that market on both sides of the border. We're seeing the same thing with soybean crush capacity in the U.S. increasing. So I, I would say those are the, the couple areas. Um, of course, in Ontario, uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's interest in, we have a clean fuel regulation that's come into place this past, this past July. And, and I guess it's the Canadian version of the RFS that the U.S. has. And, you know, ethanol production is, is, is looking, for, you know, corn-based ethanol is looking to go up. So th- those would be the examples that, that, that come to mind. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take away, like if you think about canola crush capacity, it 
it, it doesn't change the importance of trade. So although we're not going to be shipping raw canola seed to places like China, it's now we're going to crush it here at home. We'll have the oil, and then probably we'll be exporting the meal to China. So it just changes the the product that's going to the export market. Um, there's still there's still a very high importance on trade because I sometimes people get confused like will trade not be important anymore? Uh, yeah, it's gonna be very important because there's only so much canola meal that we can chew through. Right. The the trade balance is just to, going to change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then maybe we, we being U.S. and Canada, possibly be exporting those refined oils rather than, you know, shipping those raw, raw ingredients out and then buying essentially the oils back. Right. Yeah. Like, I think it just changes what gets shipped and what's imported and in those kinds of things. So it's, it, it, we'll, we'll see what happens. There's a lot of plants yet to be built. So that's going to be interesting. To, I guess at the end of the day, whatever it takes to, you know, this all has to work its way back to farm profitability, you know, whether it's technology or it's processing or whatever we're talking about, it really, <clears throat> it really all comes back to does, you know, does this assist the farmer? Does the farmer actually make money because of, you know, things that are happening up chain? That, that's always got to be in the minds of lawmakers and the industry as they develop some of these policies. Mm-hmm. Speaking of technology, that was the third point that, that you brought up that you're excited about. Are most of the farmers that you're talking to excited about the technological advances or is it more the the statistical distribution where there's a certain percent of their earlier doctors yeah. and then as we ride that curve, more will be willing once the technology is proven out. Is that playing out from what you're hearing as well, or is it is it different? Yeah, no, I, I think it's some of the traditional, right? Like I said earlier, everybody's on a different point in the you know in terms of how they feel about change and adoption of some of these technologies, especially if they're really really fresh and new and and different than what we were doing before. Um, I think there is depending on where you sit on those curves. Um, you're either really eager about this or you're you know, you're kind of sitting back. I'm going to see how this kind of plays out. One of the things that we have seen in some of our... So at Real Agriculture, we have a market research arm, um, Real Agri Studies, we call it. And, and, and we, you know, one of the things that comes up a lot in technology and anything in the data space is trust. And, 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 and farmers, you know, a very key component here is trust. So if you if you if you span that across all technology adoption, can I? Okay, there's one thing. Can I trust that my data is safe? That's that's one piece. But I think it also carries over into other areas. Can I trust that this is actually going to work? Yeah. Can I trust that this is going to be reliable? Right. And, and so uh, more and more uh, equipment dealerships. You know, it, it's almost more important to have a a, a data technician on staff than it is to somebody that. Can pull wrenches, right? Because th- there is nothing worse. We talked about velocity during planting time, right? Earlier, there is nothing worse than the middle of planting time. You finally have a couple of good days to get the corn crop in, and the GPS doesn't work, or yep. the monitor won't turn on. And if the monitor doesn't turn on, you can't put seed in the ground, and it or you know there there's something electrically wrong with the tractor, and it won't it won't move. Like these are all things that really we are trusting 
that there's reliability when it comes to some of this tech because it, it's different than like just like a home computer. Like, you know, oh, it doesn't work. I'll look at it tomorrow. In, the, in farming, we only have so many days, so many hours, and we have a lot of scientific research that tells us that, you know, we need to do these certain things by certain dates, given the conditions, or we're knocking ourselves off the optimum yield curve. So time is money, is the old saying. And so that's where this trust and reliability, it really plays a part, I think, in technology adoption. The technology has to prove itself it's going to work. Yeah, that it's getting around. Can the farmers trust that the dealership is going to have the staff available to them when things go wrong so that they can still execute their business plan? Yeah, of course. This is this is a key component, you know, and I've talked to, you know, dealers uh, on both sides of the border. This is a big concern for them, you know, uh, the the labor market's tight. It's hard to find people. Um th- this is where um, uh, rural broadband really comes into play because the, the more you have accessibility of royal, uh, rural broadband, the more you're able to do things like, you know, uh, teleservice, right? Where somebody basically doesn't even have to come out to the field. They can log into that machine and make the changes they need to make on the technology side to get you back and working as quickly as possible. Because, you know, in some of the remote areas of, of the U.S. and Canada, you you may be two hours from town, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you've been to different parts of, like, I, I've been to eastern Montana before. Like, you're a long ways from somewhere in, in some of those places. And, and so... You can't be stranded by the distance. And so like I, I saw a video where somebody had hooked a Starlink unit up to the top of their tractor. So they had uh, internet during planting time. That, that was kind of a cool video. So I, I think this is where things like rural broadband really, really come into play. And if, if we're going to put all this technology load on the agricultural industry, I think farmers are overall willing to embrace it. But if we don't have the the broadband capacity, it it becomes a real challenge. It, it almost all of it becomes useless, and it's it's not just about the download speed. Like a lot of times when you talk to a ISP, it's like, oh, we got gigabyte down. You know, we're gigabyte down. Yeah. Like, well, that sounds really fast. What's the upload? Oh, it's uh, I don't know, thirty five megabytes. That's like yep. okay, well that that doesn't help me. <laughs> yeah, it's all about the core competencies uh, of these tools that can really leverage the full or or create the experience that they're promising at right. the end of the day. And broadband is obviously a, a huge piece of that. So, so Sean, we're kind of come up on time, but I've really enjoyed today's conversation. You gave us a really good background on you and real agriculture. You talked about your four uh, values, velocity, focus, passion, accountability. I'm a huge fan of, of all of those as well. We talked a little bit about how velocity is being implemented on the farms. Um, and then you're excited about food, consumer, technology, increasing our processing capacity. I'd say I'm seeing the same thing um, from my perspective as well. So again, just want to say thank you for doing what you do. And it's fun to see where agriculture is going. Um, is there one thing that you'd like to leave us with today? 
Well, I, I should mention to everybody, you know, if you haven't been to realagriculture.com before, please check it out. Um, as well, we got, you know, if you look at our YouTube channel, we got tons of videos for farmers across Canada and the U.S. Machinery features, agronomics, uh, political coverage, all that kind of stuff. And of course, you can hear Real Ag Radio on Rural Radio 147 Sirius XM uh, every weekday. And there's also a podcast for it as well. So uh, please check out all of our podcasts. We got lots of great content. Uh, for anybody of every any shape and size of farm to consume so uh yeah it's a labor of love and please check it out sounds great we'll put all of that in the show notes as well sean thanks for coming on today appreciate it hey thanks a lot for having me really appreciate it absolutely for listeners hope you found some gold nuggets in today's episode and feel free to share and review and rate please and look forward to next week's episode thanks everyone see ya